This is the Right Guys Podcast, where we are eulogizing the grand old party. And now your host, Max McGuire. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Right Guys Podcast. My name is Max McGuire. Mr. Producer Josh is out again, but he should be back on Wednesday. Can't wait for that to happen because uh, then I don't have to do the intros anymore. <laughs> it's very hard to do the intros, gruffy voice, and then come back come back and be like, hey, what's up? Um, but yeah, Josh will be back um, on Wednesday. And again, nothing bad. He is uh, just need to take care of some stuff. So today's topic is, is pretty simple. It, it's something that we've been predicting. It's something we've been talking about for a while, but I think that um, we can make it official. I think we can we can call a time of death that the grand old party, the GOP, the Republican Party, as it exists and as it has existed since 1854, is dead. Now, I say that, but obviously the Republican Party has a lot of money. Obviously, the Republican Party has a lot of infrastructure, so it might limp along for a bit. But as we know it, the Republican Party is dead. And for years, for decades, we've talked about the Republican Party being led by, what's that word? Rhinos. Republicans in name only. R-I-N-O. And it's been true, right? And we've also always thought that we were we were just getting lied to. Like, just, just look back for election cycles. Just think about who the GOP had nominated. And then think about how drastically they shifted once they were not elected president, once they lost power, and how they abandoned all of the stuff that they had built their entire careers over. I'm talking about people like John McCain. John McCain, he was uh, always a bit of more of a centrist, but he knew what he had to say to get elected. This is someone who ran for the Senate on a promise to build the wall, but then when Donald Trump was elected, Adamantly opposed it. It's going to be a running theme. Talk about people like Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney knew what to say. I didn't vote for Mitt Romney in the primaries. I liked Huckabee that year. Um, but Mitt Romney won. And I voted for Mitt Romney for president. Because the alternative, obviously, Barack Obama was unfathomable. Mitt Romney, Paul Ryan, knew what to say. Knew what to say to try and turn out conservative voters. People like John Boehner. John Boehner knew what to say to get conservative support. <clears throat> and then obviously, yes, Kevin McCarthy, presented as the heir apparent for the Republican Party, only lasted a couple of years, unless a couple of years, removed as Speaker of the House. And just weeks, a couple months after being removed as Speaker of the House, he's out now showing his true colors. I mean, it, it, it's remarkable, right? Because on the one hand, we're hearing from the GOP, how dare you remove this person from power? We're going to hear a clip um, from Paul Ryan, where Paul Ryan says what what they did to uh, what Matt Gates and company did to uh, to Kevin McCarthy was was terrible, right? We have that clip. So we're told that we should have sat down and been good little Republicans and let the establishment drive us towards the center, towards the left. 
But then the very next breath, the people that we were supposed to have supported, the heir apparent, heirs apparent to the Republican Party, are out on television not being very conservative, not being very Republican. As we get into that, I guess we'll start with the Kevin McCarthy clips because this week he's been making the rounds. This past week he's been making the rounds on a lecture circuit and doing a, uh, a speech, a little interview at the New York Times. And in both cases, he had the same talking points, which seemed like it was an audition to join CNN or MSNBC, was that the Republican Party isn't diverse enough. And we don't look like the United States. We look like a very restrictive country club. Here's the first clip that's been going very viral. The Democrats, they actually look like America. When I look at my party, we look like the most restrictive country club in America. Yeah, it's a funny joke. It's a funny joke. But who is who is the audience for this? Obviously, he's at a university. He's getting some chuckles in the audience that the Republican Party looks like a country club. Looks like a country club. But these are Democrat talking points. Democrat talking points claims that, oh, the Democrat Party looks like America. Democrat Party looks like America. Well, we see from another interview, that he, the next clip that he did, interview he did with the New York Times, he expanded on this and talked about how when he was in charge of the GOP, he made an effort to specifically introduce diversity into the Republican Party so that, I guess, the Republican Party could look more like what he considers America to look like. Here's that next clip. We're the Democrats and they stand up. They look like America. We stand up. We look like the most restrictive country club in America. And I decide then either I am going to be the leader of a declining end of a party or I have to change the opportunity in this party. So I embrace in something else, okay? Since that time, we've elected the most women, Republicans, the most minority Republicans ever to the House. But to do so, I'm going to have to ruffle feathers. So for a Republican woman or a Republican minority to win, the, the November election is not their tough election. It's the primary. So what I do is I would engage in primaries. And I would help. And it, sometimes you lose some, sometimes you have problems. Interesting. A little bit, a little bit of confession. Something we knew was happening within the Republican Party, that the GOP was putting its finger on the scale to decide which candidates would win or lose. <clears throat> Now, we've known that was the case. Very obviously, the GOP, unless you do something to completely piss off McCarthy, the GOP will invest money into defending Republican incumbents. Absolutely. But this is a different confession, saying that he actually was engaged in almost like DEI. No, not completely DEI. Almost like affirmative action, where if the, if the Republican electorate wouldn't, choose a diverse group of republicans he would put his finger on the scale and give them a ton of money so they would win so it, it's and listen I, I don't have any problem with there being more female republican congressmen or senators more minority african-american hispanic con uh, congressmen or republican senators that's not a problem it's weird though that in a party that has staked its position to be so anti affirmative action, so anti-DEI, so anti-woke, that what you just heard 
out of Kevin McCarthy's mouth, which is that the Republican Party doesn't look like America. It looks like a country club. That you could put that in a Democrat speech and it would fit. It would fit right in their narrative, right in their party platform of whiteness is bad. We should be less white. It, he was just the Speaker of the House. He only admitted to this after he was removed from power. Why was he removed from power for not honoring his promises? Right? For not honoring his promises to rein in government spending and ensure that each government spending bill was voted on individually. Instead, he went right back to the old playbook and tried to push through continuing resolutions, which would guarantee spending at the current levels and nothing gets fixed. He was removed from power because he had the power of the purse, the ability to rein in, or at least attempt to rein in, Joe Biden's administration, and he refused to use it. Now, if that sounds familiar, it, it should. It keeps happening in the Republican Party. It's the same thing that Paul Ryan did. It's the same thing that John Boehner did when they were in charge of the Republican majority house, when they were speakers of the house. They had all these grand promises that they were going to use the power of the purse to reign in government. The power of the purse, just for people who don't know what that is, the power of the purse is the idea that because all of the government's spending bills have to originate in the House of Representatives, the House of Representatives has tremendous power to limit executive branch uh, actions or to compel their actions by saying you're not allowed to spend any money on this or you must spend money on this. It's the power of the purse. Democrats wielded the power of the purse extraordinarily well, and I don't mean well to congratulate them, just well to say that they did it well when Donald Trump was president. One of the ways they did that when they controlled the House for the second half of his, of his first term is they re refused to fund the Department of Homeland Security's detention facilities. And they did this in a very simple way. They limited the number of detention beds that could be in a detention facility. In detention beds, obviously, there it is possible to have more people in the facility than you have beds. But generally, the number of beds that they're allowed to have equals plus or minus the number of detainees, illegal aliens that they can hold in their facilities. So when Nancy Pelosi gained control under Trump, she immediately used her power of the purse to drastically cut the number of detention beds that, that the Congress would pay for in these facilities. That ensured that more illegal aliens would be released after they were captured, and it forced Border Patrol and ICE to make some really tough decisions. When these detention facilities were full, they had to decide which of the criminals they were arresting should be detained. Oh, should we? De we only have one hypothetical, but we only have one detention bed left. We have a rapist and we have a murderer. Which one should be detained? Which one should be let free? Hypothetical, but that's the kind of decision-making that the Democrats in Congress demanded, demanded by setting a hard cap at the number of detention beds in these facilities. That's just one example. When Republicans controlled it, they were very, they were weak. They were feeble, feckless in their commitment to using the power of the purse. And that's, that's been a Achilles heel of the Republican Party. I mean, you think it's the Achilles heel that, oh, like, I'm a Jets fan, right? 
I'm a Jets as much as I say I'm a Jets fan. And it's like you look through history and you think back, oh, well, the Jets blow it every year. Right? They haven't won a Super Bowl since Joe Namath uh, was Super Bowl three. And they blow it every year. And, and you think that, oh, no, it's just the Jets. That's just what the Jets do. You start thinking the same way about the GOP. That's just what the GOP does. They blow it. They whiff. They, they, they don't live up to the moment. And they don't seize the moment. But then you realize that it, it's not just like a curse. It's that the people that we've been putting in power are the feckless ones. They're the feeble ones. They're the weak ones. They're the ones who don't have courage. And don't have a real commitment to conservatism. So how did they reach the pinnacle, the top of the party? Well, that's that's a good question. Right? If you don't want to be a Republican, why do you spend your entire life to reach the top of the Republican Party? Well, clearly, they're more interested in power than they are in policy outcomes and legislative victories. And it's funny that any time a conservative, a real conservative, gets named to or nominated for one of these positions, everyone comes down on them. Democrats, too. Because Democrats would like nothing more than a Democrat light rhino Republican in name only holding the reins. That's, that's what they've grown to expect. So we have Kevin McCarthy trashing the Republican Party just weeks after he was in charge of the Republican Party in the House. We also heard this past week from Kevin McCarthy that he intends to retire at the end of the year. At the beginning, he'll, he'll leave office in the beginning of 2024, which is interesting because a few weeks ago, when he was still fighting for his job as Speaker of the House, he very adamantly said, I don't quit. And it was funny seeing the, the Twitter fact checkers the community notes going back to that and uh adding the fact check that he had indeed announced he's quitting honestly in normal circumstances you say okay bye kevin mccarthy don't let the door hit you on the way out but as we covered on the previous show when mr producer was in mr producer josh there because the republican party kicked out george santos there is a razor's edge margin in the house of representatives Right to the point where if two now if two Republicans side with Democrats, GOP doesn't have a majority. It's an even tie. Well, here with Kevin McCarthy leaving now, it's down to like one and a half one, depending on who shows up in a given day. It takes one defection, mostly. Maybe if certain Democrats don't show up, maybe two. One to two defections now because Kevin McCarthy would rather quit than do the job he was elected to do by his constituents. His constituents elected him to serve a two-year term in Congress. Because he doesn't get to control everything, he's going back on that promise to serve those two years. Going back on that promise to serve those two years. And in doing so, leaving the Repo Republican Party with its smallest majority since taking back the House of Representatives. Again, so that even one, one and a half, but one Republican can shoot down anything. And the reason that is important is you have a congressman like Ken Buck in Colorado. My former congressman, ironically, when I used to live there. Ken Buck has said that he does not support impeaching Joe Biden. 
does not support impeaching Joe Biden. So just assume that every other Republican is on board, right? If the House doesn't authorize, formally authorize the impeachment before the end of the year, which again, they only have single digit sessions, uh, days left in session. If they don't do it before the start of the year, then when Kevin McCarthy resigns, retires, Ken Buck will have the ability single-handedly to stop Joe Biden from being impeached. To stop the impeachment from moving forward to a more formal, uh, a more formal stage. Now, when, when we were talking about the GOP removing George Santos, we brought up the fact that George Santos, for as, as crazy as he is, was like a 96% when it comes to rating how often he votes for conservative legislative items. He was one of the most conservative voting members of Congress. Again, definitely strange. Definitely wouldn't want to really spend any time with him personally. But in terms of advancing conservative legislation, he was a lock. He was a, he was a complete lock. To remove him from Congress proved that the GOP isn't interested in getting conservative pieces of legislation across the finish line. Now with Kevin McCarthy leaving, basically doing the equivalent of taking his ball and going home because the other neighborhood children wouldn't name him captain of the, I don't know, of the, of the, the stickball game, wiffle ball game, whatever. Taking his ball and going home and leaving the GOP practically unable to do anything even remotely controversial. And yet, we were supposed to trust him just two months ago. He said, trust me, I'm the guy, I'm the conservative. And the minute he loses that on power, he reveals his true colors. Just like so many other Republicans, Republican leaders have in the past. And this episode is going to be relatively short compared to some of the other ones. But I wanted to play some of those clips uh, just to show you the examples that this isn't new. Kevin McCarthy getting removed from power and then promptly switching sides and becoming essentially a liberal isn't new. Michael Steele was the head of the Republican Party. Uh, I want to say he was the head of, I believe he was the head of the Republican Party going into 2008. I don't know how much longer he stayed, but he was the head of the GOP. He was like a uh, Ronna Romney McDaniel, like what she is now. He headed the GOP, the National Party. Now, not only is he an MSNBC commentator, but he is an MSNBC guest host. And he is their go-to Republican when they want someone with the R next to their name to trash conservatives and trash Donald Trump. So here is a clip showing the former head of the GOP acting more like the former head of the Democrat Party. Here we go. Good evening from Washington. I'm Michael Steele in for Chris Hayes. There's a lot to get to tonight, including some really big developments in the many criminal investigations into Donald Trump. But I need to start with a question for today's Republican Party. What the hell's wrong with you today? That is the former head of the GOP, Michael Steele, and he opens up the show in for Chris Hayes who is one of the biggest Democrat Party cheerleaders ever to be on television. And he opens it 
let me go back to it. I, just, I want to see the Chiron, just the different graphics they were using. So he's going after Ron DeSantis. He's going after Kevin McCarthy based on that. And at the bottom, you can see Republicans in disarray. And then it says MAGA Republicans, not just Republicans, MAGA Republicans, which is their attempt to smear the idea of America first or make America great again. America, MAGA Republicans, loud January 6th rioters. So connecting Republicans with the rioters, rioters in jailhouse visit. Just look at how much they just crammed into that Chiron. And then to deliver the news, they've got the former head of the GOP who gave us, gave us John McCain and essentially gave us uh, Barack Obama reading it. What the hell is wrong with the GOP? Well, no, I tell you what's wrong with the GOP. What's wrong with the GOP is too many people like Michael Steele held the reins for far too long. It's interesting. There is a dynamic here. And I don't know when exactly the shift occurred, but it, it feels to me like that shift happened 2000, 2004. Because if you look at the Republican leadership from before that, the, the men and women who are still around, while there are certainly exceptions, you look at someone like Newt Gingrich, who's dead on, right? He's spot on when it comes to advancing conservative ideals. Yeah, sure, he's not perfect. Yeah, sure, he's made mistakes, both in his personal life and in his policy predictions and prescriptions. But if you're asking me who's a better spokesperson for the conservative movement, you pick him. You pick Newt Gingrich over Kevin McCarthy any day of the week. Did you ever see Newt Gingrich go on television, go on all of these speaking tours after he was no longer speaker and say the GOP is too white? No, no, because that isn't conservatism. So it's somewhere around that 2000 mark where the GOP started really being controlled by people who weren't themselves conservatives. People like John Boehner. John Boehner made a lot of promises. He made a lot of promises that he knew in his heart of hearts he never would have to deliver on. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget when... Barack Obama signed DACA into law. You had a promise from Boehner. You had a promise from other Republicans like John McCain. Lots of Republicans. They promised that if the Supreme Court didn't overturn Barack Obama's amnesty program, that they would themselves overturn it. But the reason that they gave for not taking legislative action against Barack Obama's amnesty program was that they wanted to give the courts a chance to do the right thing. Fast forward to what, last year, year before, Supreme Court upheld DACA because they said, uh, said Donald Trump didn't overturn it the right way, as if that's legitimate reason, but whatever. What did the Republican Party do? Remember, this was a, a promise stemming all the way back to 2010. That if the court didn't overturn it, the GOP would. Well, no, they didn't come out and want to overturn Barack Obama's amnesty program. Instead, you saw the very Republicans who were still around who made that promise come out and advocate writing the amnesty executive order into statute so it becomes permanent. 
People like Lindsey Graham. One of the reasons that he has the nickname Lindsey Gramnesty. Because he's never seen an amnesty proposal that he didn't like. And then you have people, you have people like, uh, well, let's get into the John Boehner bit. Because I, I do have a clip of John Boehner. And let's play it. Oh, some of these members political terrorists. Oh, yeah. Jim Jordan, especially. My colleague from Ohio. I, I just never saw a guy who spent more time tearing things apart and never building anything, never putting anything together. And then there's Senator Ted Cruz, who Boehner says is the ultimate false prophet. I don't beat anybody up. It's not really my style, except that jerk. Perfect symbol, you know, of uh, getting elected, make a lot of noise, draw a lot of attention to yourself, raise a lot of money, which means you're going to go make more noise, raise more money. And uh, uh, it's really, it's unfortunate. So look at that. Look at that. It's unfortunate, he says. The two political terrorists, rather than talking about actual political terrorists, like people on the left who have advocated for Hamas or endorsed, embraced Hamas, people who are legitimate political terrorists, instead of talking about how Barack Obama got his political start in Bill Ayers' living room, who Bill Ayers was a terrorist, right? No, the political terrorists are the ones who want to investigate the wrongdoing and, and speak truth to power and hold the corrupt accountable, like Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan's not perfect. I don't think anyone expected Jim Jordan to be elected to Congress to write new laws. That's not his background. He doesn't have a legislative background. No, he has a background as a prosecutor of investigating and holding the criminal class accountable. That's why he's in Congress. Like, no one's actually upset that he doesn't sponsor more pieces of legislation. Because that's not his purpose. So when he sits on different committees and he's able to both push back against the left's narrative, but also grill into, into real corruption, now that makes him a political terrorist. And then Ted Cruz, listen, Ted Cruz has a lot of faults, but his commitment, his commitment to advancing conservatism is not one of those. And yeah, yeah, a lot of it is making noise, but you know what? Ted Cruz has probably blocked more pieces of legislation. I don't want, I don't want to say more, but he's probably blocked as many pieces of bad legislation as anyone else. Like, he's one of those senators who, when the left tries to push something through unanimous consent, he's one of the senators who stays behind and says, nope, I object to that. Who shames Republicans. Like, this is where I think John Boehner is actually coming from. That people like Jim Jordan and uh, Ted Cruz, as often as they'll shame Democrats, they'll also shame Republicans and rile up enough conservatives to the point that the wishy-washy Republicans can't dare vote against them. So of course he has a problem with, of course he has a problem with uh, Ted Cruz. Of course he does. And then you have people like Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan, as we all know, is on the board of Fox News, was behind 
many of the decisions or at least played a role in many of the decisions that have driven Fox News away from Donald Trump and away from conservatism towards a more centrist left-leaning position. Here he is on uh, uh, CM, I think CNBC denigrating the Republicans who dared who dared remove Kevin McCarthy again someone we just watched on camera saying that the GOP is too white. Here's Paul Ryan denigrating anyone who would dare vote to not have that man in power anymore. Here we go. How hopeful are you or aren't you in terms of uh, a speaker being elected this week? I don't know that it would, it would occur this week. I hope it happens this week. Today's the conference. Tomorrow's theoretically the vote. Uh, I don't think they should go to the floor until they have. They need 217, not 218. Uh, I think it's important. I think 100 members or so signed a, a conference petition, and they'll probably vote on this today, that they don't go to the floor until they actually have the votes for speaker. It would not be a pretty sight to see them go to the floor unable to elect a speaker. So I think they need to go to the floor when they have um, the votes to elect a speaker. You've got two you know, very qualified people, Jim Jordan, Steve Scalise, vying for it. Um, but it, may, it, it very conceivably could take more than a day or two to get this done. But we just need to get on with it. Uh, you know, I don't think there's anything pressing immediately that needs to pass. But I think it's important just for the world to show that our democracy is working, that it's thriving. I think what Matt Gates and these seven nihilists did was a total disgrace. Four percent of the conference overturned the will of 96 percent of the conference to fire a speaker for what? Doing his job. Um, if Matt Gates had his way, we would be not only in a dysfunctional Congress right now, but we'd be in a government shutdown. So I think it's disgraceful what these people did. Um, but we have to move on. We have to elect a new speaker. We got to show that we can walk. I'm going to pause it there. It's disgraceful. Disgraceful. They would have led us into a government shutdown. But remember, when Paul Ryan was in there, he towed the line. He said, no, we need to use government shutdowns. That's the power of the purse. Threatening a government shutdown is the power of the purse. Like just, just so we're clear, refusing to fund the government unless the executive branch negotiates on something. That's using the power of the purse. So just as he was in, off, in office as Speaker of the House, he is just as uh, opposed to actually wielding the power and, and more, more in line with just giving in to the left's demands. Oh no, just fund the government as is. Let Biden just keep doing everything that he's doing. He used a word, and just to make sure that we all understand what the word means, he called Matt Gates and the other Republicans who voted to remove Kevin McCarthy, he called them nihilists. And just to put the definition on screen for everyone, just so we're clear, a nihilist is, quote, a person who believes that life is meaningless and rejects all religious and moral principles. Uh, that's the word he uses to go after Matt Gates, saying that he's essentially an immoral, unethical atheist, which is not true, not true at all, but it shows how they view the, com the commitment to what they see as the GOP orthodoxy. The GOP orthodoxy is that they only really have two priorities going into any legislative session. That's to keep uh, businesses happy, the business interests, their, their lobbyists, the business interests happy, and to also help the defense industry. 
by making sure that the Pentagon is fully funded beyond what it was the previous year. Those are really only the, the only two priorities that the GOP establishment, the orthodoxy of the Republican Party, demands. Everything else is lip service. So if you get in the way of that, if you get in the way of serving business interests or serving defense interests, you are, in, ter in the term that he just used, a nihilist, immoral, unreligious person who believes that life is meaningless. For daring to say, how about we don't just fund the government at the same level? Honestly, with GOP leaders like this, who needs Democrats? Who needs Democrats? And here's another clip. Paul Ryan. I remember a man who did not win in 2012, did not become vice president. Blaming Donald Trump for the fact that Republicans that the party was supporting weren't winning. Here's this clip. 15 seats. Yeah. Republicans would yeah. pick up at least 15. What happened? A couple of factors, but I personally think the evidence is really clear. The biggest factor was the Trump factor. Just look at how Chris Sununu ran ahead against, ahead of Bulldog in New Hampshire. Look at where Kemp ran ahead of Walker in Georgia. So I think we would have clearly have won the Senate had we had um, traditional Republicans in the general election, like these governors did. I think we would have won places like Arizona, places like Pennsylvania, um, New Hampshire, um, had we had a, a typical traditional conservative Republican, uh, not a Trump Republican. Interesting. This traditional Republican. What, what is a traditional Republican? A traditional Republican is someone who makes a lot of promises and doesn't deliver on any, any of them, except for the promises to help business interests and defense interests. Other than that, it's just un, undelivered promises. Right? The reason, and, and we're hearing it even now. We're hearing it even now from the Senate, from the Senate Republicans. Um, let me see if I can find that article. Senate Republicans are getting really upset that Donald Trump is promising things on the campaign trail. They're getting really upset that they're going to have to actually honor the promises that he's making. Here we go. Here's the, uh, here's the article I'm thinking of. GOP, this is on the Hill, GOP senators feel ambushed by Trump's policy promises. So what are some of these policy promises that, that they're ambushed over? Healthcare, repealing Obamacare. Huh. Immigration, stopping illegal immigration. Huh. What, what other ones are, are they talking about? Uh, da, da, da. No, those are really the big ones. Those are really the big ones. It's incredible, though. Because it was never controversial for the GOP to say, we want to get rid of the Affordable Care Act and we want to secure the border. Those were planks in the Republican Party platform. And just to show you how much Donald Trump has broken the GOP, how dead the GOP is, a plank from the platform just a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, however many, is now making senators uncomfortable and you start to understand why paul ryan in 2016 actively <laughs> wanted hillary clinton to win 
He would have rather Hillary Clinton won and him get to continue making promises he had no intention of ever delivering on than Donald Trump win and him actually having to do what he promised. And that's the problem with the Republican Party. They are conmen. They are absolutely conmen because they can't stop lying to Republican voters. They can't stop lying to conservatives. They'll say whatever they have to to get donations, to get primary election victories, to win election. And then as soon as they're in, they step up, they step back and walk away from their promises. And if anyone dares actually follow through with their promises, someone like Matt Gates, someone like Jim Jordan, if anyone dares, Donald Trump, dares make a promise and then demand that that promise be kept, well, it is amazing to see the GOP infrastructure go after them. It is amazing. Matt Gates isn't out of the woods yet. There are talks in Congress of giving Matt Gates, um, removing him too, Re- giving him the George Santos treatment of removing him, not because he did anything wrong, because he dared to stand up to party leadership that promised something without any intention of actually following through. The same GOP interests that sabotaged and killed Jim Jordan's efforts to become Speaker of the House, and the same GOP interests there against Donald Trump. I mean, the fact that we, we've continued to have GOP debates, it sounds like the Republican Party is no longer going to be having sponsored debates, which is good. But the idea that we all had to just sit here and let these n- nobodies, these also-rans, the Ron DeSantis, Chris Christie, Nikki Haley, Vivek, I, Vivek probably have all of them is the one I like the most, that we're all supposed to just sit here and just let them talk on stage as if they actually have a shot at becoming the GOP nominee. That was the Republican Party's doing. That was the Republican Party's doing. So yeah, title of the show, the GOP is dead. Yet the GOP, as you know, it is dead. Whether the organization is about to collapse, I don't think so. They have enough money and infrastructure to go on for a while. But it's very clear and it's no longer avoidable that every single person in the last 15 20 years who has held power in the Republican Party has been just a con. Every single Republican who's held power within the party has been a closeted leftist. But no, keep donating. Keep donating. Now we got the GOP as we know it is dead, but we got to take the party. And the way you take the party is through primary elections. You just heard Kevin McCarthy talked about how he was able to dump money into primary elections to get his preferred candidate to win. Well, grassroots activism can defeat that. Just look at what happened to Eric Cantor in Virginia a few years ago. One of the most powerful members in the House lost. It is possible. But it takes all of us. It takes all of us to get out there, not just vote, but get out there and get out the vote. I don't have to do door knocking, but it takes all of us to to really drum up support for the good candidates. And there's really no one to blame. Yes, for the longest time, the GOP could come in and just dump a bunch of money into a district, and that guarantees a win. And yeah, it might still happen that way. But we're not going to defeat that by dumping our own money into a race. 
The only way we defeat that is through the intangibles, the things that money can't buy. Money can't physically buy votes. It can buy advertisements. It can buy commercials. It can buy door knockers, right? It can buy billboards. Money can't actually buy votes. And as long as that's the case, we can take it back. Well, that's it for this edition of the, of the Right Guys podcast. If you like the podcast, make sure you subscribe. Hit that subscribe button. Hit it. Give us a thumbs up. Comment, comment, comment. Also, subscribe to one of the audio versions. We have a bunch of audio versions in the description. Really helps us as we're trying to increase our listenership, our, our audience. So when we go to advertisers, we can qualify for certain advertising programs. Very important. Set it to auto download and listen in the car. If, if perchance you can't watch it, listen. We try and make these programs as audio friendly as possible. That's it for this edition of the podcast. My name is Max McGuire. Mr. Producer Josh will be back next time. Until then, though, remember that the fight to take back our country is not over yet, but the only way we win is if we all step and fight together. See you next time.